Well, good morning, Westmount. And I do trust that you have been encouraged and uplifted so far in this worship service and hope that your hearts is ready, our hearts are ready to receive God's word. Bruce Shelley said, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got to this idea of just and unjust, he asked himself. A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of what a straight line looks like. Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not and does not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, according to Bruce, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of injustice, was full of sense. So he concluded that his rationale for the unjust society, the cruelty in society, he had to come to that conclusion somehow. And he couldn't come to that conclusion based on the fact that he regarded and saw himself as an unjust person, as a cruel person, as an evil individual. For us as believers, and myself is included, it is so easy for us to to wash our hands and throw in the towels and dust our feet off, as it were, and move on when there are people we come and encounter that reject Jesus Christ, the unsaved world. It is easy for us to to drop and to just shove them aside, especially when they do this in a very arrogant and boastful and a proud manner. In the text that we're going to be looking at this morning, we find David, and he is not making a statement. We often read, and I'm sure you're familiar with Psalm 14, and it seemed like it's a statement he's making. But David is actually lamenting over the sinful state of these individuals whom he regards and calls fools. He laments over the worldview that is known to us or that we know as atheism. The denial of the existence of God, which is a root cause of so many evil in our society. This lifestyle David is going to highlight and point out to us is a a lifestyle that leads to doom, to destruction, and even damnation if some change doesn't occur. But amid this lament, amid this what seems to be just bad news upon bad news, There is hope, and David presents hope for us. David will remind us, and we will see that even though the fool is heading down the wrong path and it seems dread and dreary, all is not lost. There is hope for this fool. There is hope for this one that is living in total denial of the existence of God. And I want us to look at the text as I read a few verses as we get 
into the text of Psalm 14. David starts off by saying the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They, are, they do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there is any who understands, to see if there is any that seeks after God. And they have all turned aside. Together they have come or become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So we're going, and what I want to do as you see on the overhead is approach Psalm 14 from an evangelistic perspective and tell us why we need to go and go in the context of Matthew 28, 18, 20, and Acts 1, verse 8. Why we as believers, why we who believe in the existence of God and gather like this Sunday after Sunday in worshiping this God who is and the God who we worship and the God who exists that we know for a fact exists, why we need to go and tell the fools that he actually exists. And the first point that I want to, to highlight is that we need to go because of this worldview that we know as atheism. We see that in verse 1. The fool says in their heart, there is no God. And this fool, this means the, a person or one who is senseless. This is biblical term. This is not me calling them fools and calling them senses. This is the biblical definition. One who is senseless, especially with regards to moral and ethical perception in the context of religion. That is who this fool is. This verse identifies them as fools and the consequences of their folly. The fool knows enough to get angry at God, do they not? They know enough to get angry at God. They reproach God on a daily basis. The fool, by default, denies true wisdom. But get this, while at the same time professing that they hold and they acquire and they know what true wisdom actually is, especially in the realm of science. They claim that. They deny true wisdom, wisdom that is from God, but they claim that they're holders of truth and true wisdom. But because of this worldview, the fool is corrupt. The fool is heading into a path of destruction and ruin. Again, we see that in verse 1. They are corrupt, they do abominable deeds, there is none that does good. They are heading to destruction and that is the end of their ways unless something happens. We don't know it if we're following the the chronology of the verses. We don't know if something's going to happen yet. But so let's assume that this is their end. They're heading towards damnation. And that should be cause for concern for us as believers, especially when we know that we have family members who are fools. When we have relatives, we have spouses, we have children who are fools. And this is where they're heading. This is their path that they're heading down. 
because of the worldview that says God doesn't exist, these fools live a life that does abhorrent things. Their moral and ethical compasses are completely not functioning. Their conscience are smeared, as it were, with a hot iron or seared with a hot iron. Hence, why they have and why we see in this world senseless killings. Why we see in this world wars and rumors of wars. Why we see in this world and in this age sexual immorality at a just spiraling out of control. Why we see in our world demonic and devil worship. And that's just to name a few. Because people are living with the idea that God does not exist. But there is still that innate nature to worship something and be attracted to worshiping something. Nothing they do. And that's one of the big questions, especially if you were to watch The Way of the Master and, and Kirk Cameron would say, are you a good person? And everybody, yes, I'm a good person. Or if you see some celebrities and they pass away and, oh, he was a good person. In what context are they good? Just like David shared with us in terms of the context of evil from man's perspective versus God's perspective. The Bible says none. There's none that does good. None of their ways are deemed good. Such were some of us. Such were some of you. You may not have been practicing atheism verbally or in your heart, but actions. There was a point in time where we lived as believers as though God didn't really exist. And in all reality and in all honesty, some of us, even though we have named the name Jesus Christ and we have his spirit living within us, indwelling us permanently, we still live at times as though God doesn't exist because of our actions, because of our deeds that Jerry pointed to, that our deeds and our thoughts aren't always on par with what God commands us to do. So what's, what's there for us to do, folks? We need to persuade. We need to persuade these fools, these God deniers about the God who is. The God who is and always will be. We need to, like David, lament over them. We need to, like David, remind them that there is still hope, that they still have chance for knowing about this God, and they're going to know about him through us. We need to go, folks, because these people are denying God, and if you look at the society in which we live, there's a rampant denial of God and the existence of God. And churches are drifting away from that because they want to appease these fools. So they're resorting to foolish methodologies. We need to remind them, folks, and we need to go. We need to go because of the universal depravity of sin, not only because of the atheistic worldview, but because of the universal depravity of sin. Verses 2 to 4, 
The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there's any who understands, to see if there's any who seeks after God. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There's none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge? All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord. The saying goes, and you may have heard it, you may not, the world is going to hell in a hand basket. And what that statement means is things are getting worse and worse from a moral and ethical standpoint. And we can attest to this truth. We can, we look at the society in which we live and things are getting bad. Total depravity is a term which describes man as being completely tainted by sin and incapable of seeking after God. It means then that sinful, as sinful as men are, they're going to get worse and they can get worse. And folks, that is unimaginable to think. That is unimaginable to fathom that things can get worse than they are. But Jeremiah, who had a a great sense and knowledge of the goodness of God, said the heart. And this is what David says. They say in their heart. And David and Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Not even you yourself. Paul talks about the heart being evil as well. God sits and is making an analysis. He's not winking at these things, folks. He's not winking at the corruption and the evil in our society. He's not overlooking these things. He's sitting down in this throne, high and lifted up as the sovereign one, and he's analyzing what his creation is doing. And he's making a few analyses, coming to a few conclusions. He says, first of all, The understanding is lacking in my creation. Hence why they're termed as fools. Seeking after God is non-existent. There's none that is going out wanting or having a desire to know about God. Even though Paul tells us that God puts that in us as his image bearers, that innate need to know and yearn after God, but nobody's doing that. And the third thing that we see is that God realized that people are just living their lives as the children of Israel did at the end of Judges. Everybody is doing what was right in their own eyes. Is that not the society in which we are living in? Everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. The fool, they are too busy seeking to live their lives the way they want to desire anything that God wants. What I want us to remember is that we were once like this. You and I were once living this life the way I want. 
And that is why some of us rejected coming to Christ because we know we have to give up the good the good life. We have to give up the partying and the immorality and we have to give up all of these so-called good things. Because Christianity is the boring life where you just go through like a stoic, you don't smile. You, it might be wrong and irreverent to smile. We were once in this category, but God, but God transformed us. God transformed us. And the only reason, folks, why you and I aren't getting worse and worse like these fools is because of the grace of God and because of his spirit restraining us. And we're still not perfect beings. We still mess up. We still slip up. But by the grace of God, we grow on to perfection more and more. I am a testament to this. I've shared with Jason, and I, I don't know if I've shared with others from this church, but the community that I'm from back in Jamaica, terrible, terrible community. Guys, I, I can assure you, 95% of the guys that I grew up with, some of them are doing life in prison for murder, or they're six feet under. These are guys that I grew up with. And I could have been a part of that. You wouldn't have known that Barry's patience existed. If I continue to live a life like that, as though God doesn't exist. Because that was instilled in me. It's not because of anything that I did, folks. It's because of God's grace in my life. And him putting, like Timothy, a great, a great, a grand aunt our great aunt in my life who instilled godliness and godly virtues in my life. And I use that, and God used that in me to pull me away from that kind of lifestyle because it was very easy and it looked attractive. And I can tell this, I've held a gun and I'm like, man, I can see why they think they have so much power. Because something just takes over you. And you think you're invincible. You're untouchable. Folks, it's only by the grace of God. But God. Folks, the solution to the foolishness that is go on, going on rather in the world. From the political level right down. Is only reversible by the grace and the mercy of God. See, God might be absent in the hearts of these fools, but he's not absent in the lives. He's actively working in the lives of men, and he's looking, he's observing, and what he's seeing is grim. It's dark, it's gloomy. And I can't imagine how it's hurting God's heart just like it was hurting David's heart. That's why David was bawling, really, about what he's seeing. Just imagine the creator. God is probably saying, I created these people in my image. And they look absolutely nothing like me. Their image that I created them in. The taint of sin on his image bearer since Genesis chapter 3 is only getting more tainted. And this requires action from God. 
these actions of these fools have consequences. Look at verses 5 and 6 as we move into the third point. They are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You should shame the plans of the fool, but the Lord is his refuge. We need to go because of the judgment of God on sinful, foolish men. The consequences for their actions is God's judgment on them. And sometimes this judgment is just giving people to over what they want. You want to live, you want to live the way you want to live, go it, go at it, have had it. Romans 1 is a prime example of this. God said, oh, that's the life you want? You want, you think it's okay for you to lay with another man or to live? Go ahead, have at it. That's judgment, folks. Sometimes it comes in the form of catastrophes and chaos. But what I want to remind us of that there is a final judgment coming, a greater consequence coming. And at that point, there will be no point of return for these fools. And this is one of the greatest reasons that should compel us as believers to go. Because there is coming a day when these fools are going to stand before God and have to give an account and have to answer to him. And at that point, it will be too late. It will be too late. David presents a contrast here in the passage for us in verses 5 and 6, where it says judgment is coming for the fools, but his people are safe. God is the refuge for the righteous. He is our restrainer from leading a life of moral callousness. And that's what David means when he says they are in terror. Yes, there is some kind of dreadedness to that term. But what David is saying is that these people are so callous in their minds. They want nothing and cannot have nothing to do with God. But God is our refuge. And chances are, the fools, they might have a basic idea of the fact that they are callous. But they're living in denial of it. That's the problem. I want to share two interesting things with you. Joseph Stalin, and the name should ring a bell to the majority here. Did you know, and this shocked me, did you know he went through to become a priest? Joseph Stalin, Hugh Hefner's dad was a, was a Methodist preacher. Small on that momentarily. To show you how immoral, when you live in the context that God doesn't exist and you want to have things your way, That's the life. Relentless pressure on God's church. The persecution that is being on, on God's people 
different parts of the world, Islamic regimes, and in China, and even here in North America, folks, this will not go unpunished by God when the fools are attacking God's people. And a greater judgment is on the horizon for such men and women who continue to live in this denial. Those who live in denial of God, whether they persecute the church of God or not, are living under God's judgment and required to repent. They need to repent. And we need to remind them that they need to repent. So we need to go, folks. We need to go because people are living in the denial of the existence of God. They don't believe that God exists and they have convinced themselves that in their hearts. They have convinced themselves that in their hearts. We need to go because man is deceitful, desperately sinful, and they're only getting worse. We're only getting worse. We need to go because God's judgment is on mankind and a greater judgment is coming. But David ends on a very positive note. And in the latter part of verse 6 to verse 7, the last verse of Psalm 14, the tone changed from lament to great hope. Just want to look at those verses, especially verse 7. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortune of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. We need to go, folks, because God has the solution to the atheistic worldview. God has the solution to the total depravity of mankind. God has the solution to the fact that he will pour out his wrath on these fools. He has the solution. And I will remind you that that solution comes in the man, Jesus Christ. It comes in the man, Jesus Christ. He is the solution to atheism, to the depraved heart, to the escaping of the judgment of God. David laments or ends this lament, crying out for salvation for the entire nation of Israel, which is what the, the, the uh, commentaries describe as a messianic cry. He's crying out for the Messiah to come and save his people. And as I said, that has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And it was not just for Israel. David was focused on the nation of Israel but this messianic cry is for the entire globe. Jesus Christ, Westmount. Jesus Christ is the solution to the atheistic worldview because he is God in the flesh. He, in him, the fullness of God dwells. Jesus Christ is the solution for total depravity. We in ourselves can't seek after God. We have no desire to seek after God. But Jesus Christ came in the form of a human being, in that tiny baby, went to that cross. He redeemed us. He bought us. He purchased us with his own blood. He, he justified us so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see depraved human beings. 
thee sees us clothed in the righteousness of his righteous and pure son. He, through Jesus Christ, we are progressively sanctified. We are getting, are supposed to be getting better and better as believers because of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit of God. Folks, Jesus Christ is the solution. He is the solution. And his spirit regenerates the song. And I loved when I, I looked at those words and said, it melts the heart of stone. And I love that word instead of, and I thought, it's so much better to say melt than crush. Because when he melts it, he can mold it back into the heart that he so desires. He regenerates the heart. Jesus Christ is the solution to God's judgment. That divine judgment that is coming on these fools. And Jesus Christ suffered this at the cross. He bore God's divine wrath because only he could. A judgment that he fully and completely satisfied because only he could. He took on himself the divine punishment that was for you and me. Because of our sinful ways, because of our totally depraved ways, because we want to live as though God doesn't exist. And he took that punishment again, because only he could. Only he could. Therefore, Westmount, we need to go. We need to go. The world is in chaos and believe it or not, it's not getting any better. It's not getting any better on this side of heaven. Sin is running rampant in society. More and more things that are righteous and morally upright are now being deemed politically incorrect. And being labeled all sorts of terms. God has provided salvation to this end. God has provided salvation to this end. David lamented over what he was seeing in his people. And it crushed his heart. And it's no different. That's why he's a man after God's own heart. Because God was crushed when he saw his people, his image bearers living the life that they were living, completely oblivious to the fact that he created them for his glory and for his honor. Folks, Westmount, one of that honor and glory is for us to go and tell these fools. They might not want to hear it, but they need to hear it. They need to hear it. So let's go. Father God, we thank you so much for the reminder in this psalm, Lord, that the work here on earth is, is not complete. We have much to do as your people within our own lives and in the lives of those whom you have put in our care and in our, our midst. Lord, we ask that you forgive us when we have easily given up 
on the fools that are out there in the world and write them off because of how arrogant and boastful that they are about the lifestyle that they are living and that we are the fools and the fanatics and the freaks and whatever other names they might throw at us. God, may we be gracious and may we develop a heart like David to mourn and to lament over these individuals who are desperately in need of Jesus Christ as we once were. Lord, encourage us. And again, Lord, if there's somebody here that isn't saved, Lord, I don't know. You know the hearts. You try the hearts. You test the hearts. And if there's such a person here, Lord, may your spirit through your word convict their lives. That today, before this service ends, will be the day when they surrender and transform their lives or, or, or surrender their lives over to you so that you will do a work in them of regeneration, of melting that stony heart, transferring them from the realm of fools to starting to the realm of wise people, with people of knowledge that comes only from you. God, I pray that you will again instilling us a heart and a passion to minister and to witness to these who are under your wrath. Some are completely oblivious to this fact. Some don't care. But we who know better, Lord, may we seek to be better witnesses for you, for Christ's sake.